Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Welcome to today's episode. I'm here with Brett, and Brett and I are here to queue up a presentation that was given by Archbishop Miller on Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, presenting to the majority of the pastors in our archdiocese. It was followed by, or not followed by, but his presentation was a follow-up to a series of presentations that we may generally call a lay of the land. I think there was a whole bunch of different uh, presentations from a variety of different spaces in our archdiocese to give a sense of where we are here in the church in Vancouver. Now, before we get to the episode, I'm going to cue it up to Brett to, in a sort, in a sense, set the stage uh, before we listen to Archbishop's uh, presentation. So, Brett, what was the meeting about? How did it come about? And most importantly, why did it come about? Sure. Very good question. So, yeah, the meeting on Saturday, February 3rd, it was a gathering of pastors uh, from around the Archdiocese with our shepherd, Archbishop Michael, and a few of us kind of department leaders, if you will, from the Pastoral Center. And the Archbishop very specifically made this an optional meeting, uh, which was interesting because when we first started planning, we thought we would hold it in Our Lady Boardroom, and then it got had to go to another place because we literally had twice as many pastors willingly come on a Saturday uh, to attend this meeting than we had first anticipated. Not that we anticipated indifference, but we just had no idea, and it was a Saturday. It was hard to get to. So very happy about that. The number of pastors, I think over 50 actually showed up. And um, it was an optional meeting, partly because it was on Saturday, but also because it's probably going to be the start of a series of meetings uh, similar to this one. And so Really, this first one was, like you say, Eric, it was just about developing a shared understanding of the lay of the land. Um, You know, we hear, for example, many people that are engaged in the church, uh, it's no surprise that people are worried about, for example, a shortage of priests that's on the horizon. So we kind of looked at our data and our numbers, and we quantified that, and we presented that to the pastors. Um, You know, other people have seen the downward trajectory of most trends with baptisms, marriages, confirmations, and all that, not only in Vancouver, but in many dioceses in the West. And so again, we kind of quantified that for the pastors, just to give a real sense, uh, grounded in empirical data, if you will, um, to give a shared understanding of the lay of the land, finance, um, building assessments, all those kinds of things. So that was kind of the first half. And then the second half really was the Archbishop's talk. It was him presenting his own ideas his kind of hopes and aspirations for the future, um, certainly confirming some of the tough stuff that Christendom no longer exists um, and some of the harsher realities that we're, you know, presently dealing with. And then he finished off with these kind of 12 principles, these qualities that he believes are needed for the future church uh, in Vancouver. So it was it was a, a time to confront the brutal facts, but also to be filled with hope, knowing that the Holy Spirit can uh, do amazing things. Now, I wasn't in the room, but I had the privilege of listening and, and seeing the recording of the presentation, a couple things that were encouraging to me. And I think uh, why it matters to proclaim is, is that he is giving some directives and an encouragement to those who really, truly want to uh, be attuned to the Holy Spirit and to respond to the, uh, the challenges of the day, meaning our mission in Proclaim is to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus. And, and Jesus is all that matters, whether we are in Christendom or not. Yes. And so for us to hear that from our shepherd, I think is encouraging words. And then for us to know that he's encouraging our pastors in this similar message and is inviting 
us to work alongside our pastors in this privileged mission that we have. Yeah. Now, I heard those 12 ways forward, and uh, some of us might think these are like the 12 things that our Archbishop is telling us to do, but I think behind that it was a spirit of more, I, I guess, of some thoughts that helps us realize we have uh, we have a way to move forward, and we certainly have to think about it in our own context, in our own areas of responsibility. So they weren't really top-down directives as much as they were principles that help us think our way f- and, and lead our way forward. So were there any any top, or not top-down, I was going to say top-down, <laughs> but are, are there any of those 12 ways that uh, you thought might be um, important for Proclaim listeners to pay attention to as they listen to this episode? Yeah, it's funny because we actually had some follow-up meetings to uh, kind of evaluate what happened on February 3rd and also to make plans for the next meeting, which is happening on March 16th. And <laughs> you can't take away any of the 12. They're all important, and probably even more principles and ideas are important. There's, there's a law of organizational development that says if you want to see small incremental change, focus on behavior. But if you want to see quantum leap, transformational change, focus on the way people think. And so the Archbishop presented not these are the five steps that we need to take or, you know, these very simple tasks or responsibilities. He really was creating or cascading a mindset, a paradigm, a way of thinking. And so we can't take away any of them because I think they're all important. I'll just run through a few of them without stealing the thunder of the Archbishop. But certainly he, he clarified that we cannot um, hold that we hold or we cannot think that we hold Christendom any longer. That's no longer the dominant cultural influence in the Archdiocese of Vancouver. He said we have to have the courage to deal with the most brutal facts of current reality, but also at the same time have an unwavering hope and not to be trapped by secular social analysis. We need to adopt an apostolic mindset marked by a total confidence in the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives and communities. And this one in particular, I think, would resonate with a lot of our proclaimed listeners. And really what Proclaim is doing, I mean, Proclaim in many ways is the hope of our local church. Proclaim is a reminder of who we are as a church. We are an evangelizing body. You know, when the Pope talks about we need to have a spiritual impulse capable of transforming everything, I think that's Proclaim. If we live the way we're supposed to, which is focusing on the ones we're trying to reach, not just the ones we're trying to keep, we will be all that we're supposed to be. And so a lot of what the Archbishop had to say, I'm sure, will resonate with many of our proclaimed listeners, and it'll be an affirmation as well as an aspiration for them in the future. Wonderful. So to our listeners, I know some of you listen to this on your commute in or out of work or from school or wherever you are, but uh, if you can, have a, a notepad and a pen ready to capture these 12 ways forward, these 12 um, principles and take some time to reflect on it. Pray over it. Think about how it might impact you and your lives, the ministry that uh, you are privileged to serve. And we want to thank you for listening to the Proclaim podcast. I really do hope that this particular presentation would be a blessing. And if it is, consider sharing it with a friend, someone in ministry. Uh, Proclaim is regularly updating uh, weareproclaim.com to provide training and resources. You can follow us at weareproclaim. And Finally, let's get to Archbishop Miller's presentation. Again, we hope that it would be a blessing to you as it is has, as it has been to us and to the pastors that were present. I hope you enjoy the episode. So this is a, certainly a great testament 
to your concern for the future of our archdiocese. As we move, kind of certainly we've got to move more intentionally with what the Pope calls not just an epical change, but a change of epic, that we are in new waters as we go forward. And this is uh, from that address where we use this phrasing from the Holy Father. He said, one can say that today we are not living an epic of change as much as an epical change. The situations that we are living in today therefore pose new challenges, which at times are also difficult for us to understand. We've certainly seen that this morning. Our time requires us to live problems as challenges and not as obstacles. The Lord is active and at work in our world. He's active and alive, certainly here in the Archdiocese. Doubtless, you have many questions on what was presented. At least I hope you do. I have some too in my back pocket. But for today, at least, we're digesting the material before we can make go forward to make concrete plans. It was, as advertised, to give us a lay of the land. We have almost been assaulted with the wealth of material statistics, some of which admittedly at first glance are discouraging. One sees some, a figure like 1.3 billion and I sort of just simply roll. It might have been overwhelming and without giving any future direction, and that's intentional. At our later gathering on March the 16th, that will be the time to wrestle with the real meaning of the material and the directions to which the material is pointing us. Why do we do this though, lay of the land? So that everyone, first of all, of course, you, the presbyterate, but at the same time, eventually, all the faithful have access to the same basic information about the lay of the land, where we're at, in very specific but limited areas of ecclesial life. But note, and this is important, what we've presented is in no way a complete picture of the health, so to speak, the spiritual health of the archdiocese. Especially absent are all the great developments in ministry, outreach, and parish enhancement and renewal that are going on because you are doing it. This is um, limited but real information that should help us plan intentionally our future. No statistical analysis is by itself a marker of spiritual strength, nor can it predict where the future will take us. Sandy read to you, I think, the, the, the statement from, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, which was very clear that statistics by themselves, they leave out the role of the Holy Spirit. They leave out the creativity uh, which we have to confront and intentionally plan a future. That same book mentions some great things in history that were unplanned and the statistics taken at the time, had we had them, would have pointed in a different direction. He cites, for example, the great explosion of the monastic movement 
in the early beginning of the second millennium after, frankly, a decadence in ecclesial life in the 10th century, which by our standards, even we would find abhorring. There was this great flowering. The same thing two centuries later, the emergence of the high middle ages, the 13th century, often called the greatest of all centuries, not predicted by anything that immediately preceded it. In our own continent, who would have predicted the vast conversion of the indigenous peoples of Latin, what we call now Latin America, had it not been for the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Who had that in their future books? But we still have to kind of admit and see that these statistics tell us something. They cannot simply be dismissed as irrelevant when we are thinking about our future and doing so realistically, prudently, but also with hope. Because to move in the, to the future, we have to know where that red dot is uh, on the map. And that's what we're trying to do today. The pastoral and evangelizing strategies that have worked, and this is kind of the main point I want to make, that have, made, have worked in the past and often worked splendidly, did so under what Monsignor Shea and the book that you all received at Christmas, he kind of sums up this as talking about Christendom. It's a kind of idiosyncratic use of the word Christendom, but I think he makes his point over and over again. And it really is that the general assumptions that undergirded the society into which all of us here in this room were born no longer hold. We used to live, Canada was once, for example, and other nations from which many of you come, were far more Christian in their basic presuppositions of civil life and religious life. Our time, and it is our time, is different. We can no longer count on society to sustain our institutions and our beliefs and our vision of who a human person is and where we are going. We know you saw the, the statistics about mass attendance and so on. Under 2% of the people in the area in which we find ourselves go to mass on Sunday. 98% don't. In British Columbia, specifically, one third of the population is Christian, 12% um, practice other religions, and 50% are in the nuns category. The notion of hereditary Catholics, cultural Catholics, returning to the church at a certain stage in their life, which was something we held on to for many years. Yes, people wandered away for a brief period of time, but when their children were ready, kind of when they were born and so on, they would be baptized. Even that, dear friends, no longer holds. Um, we live in an area, in a, a time of what Charles Taylor, great Canadian philosopher, in his famous book, A Secular Age, he talks about a pervasive secularism, which he says is not so much a falling away of belief in God, but it's a change in a worldview that marks the transition 
from a society in which almost no one challenged belief in God and the value, the positive value of religion, to a society in which belief in God is, yes, one possibility among others. And as we heard Brett mentioned, into a society which no longer even will concede that religion is a positive social good. This, the worldview then, which has dominated uh, the Western world at least for a millennium and a half at least, is broken. It's not holding. We have different views. Why isn't this sad and so on? All that is true and deserves some analysis. But I think the facts are on the ground that we're not there anymore. Um, I certainly well remember the church of the 1950s. And frankly, I'm grateful that I grew up in that, in that era. But it's not the era of my great nieces and nephews. Um, but this is our time. This is where God has placed us. And let's not be surprised. I want to read you something from a young theologian later became quite famous, in 1958, publishing in German, he wrote this. The appearance of the church in the modern era, 1958, just before the council, shows that in a completely new way, it has become a church of pagans, and increasingly so. No longer, as it once was, a church made up of pagans who have become Christians, but a church of pagans who still call themselves Christian, but have really become pagans. Paganism is entrenched today in the church itself. It means non-belief. That is the mark both of the church of our time and also of the new paganism. So the young theologian, Joseph Ratzinger. This devastating critique in, the, in it Ratzinger understood that the church of success and wealth and power, which is sometimes called the church of Constantine, or Christendom is Monsignor Shea's development, had run its course. The future would belong, Ratzinger wrote, to those believers who were serious in their pursuit of holiness, even as they reached out to their neighbors. He thought it would be a smaller, and even used the word chastened church, shorn of its political trappings and having almost no social standing. We don't think of having social standing, but think of the tax benefits uh, which have accrued to us over years. We, the church still has, has enjoyed many such advantages. Whether we accept the argument that we have reached the end of Christendom, I would at least, I would suggest that at least we recognize that something, something really important and significant has changed in our ecclesial and social environment that we must take into account as we move forward to give life to our parishes and to our people and to our, our work and our mission of evangelization, of making disciples. John Paul II, our secondary patron, recognized, although he didn't use the term, he recognized that something radical had to change. He called it the church of the new evangelization, that Catholicism had to renew 
and reform itself. And in our pastoral approaches, we have to keep this newness, I think, front and center. Pope Francis, he talks not, he doesn't use the term new evangelization, but it's the same idea. He talks about a pastoral missionary conversion that needs to take place, as he said in um, Evangelii Gaudium, at every level in the church's life. He insisted, as he wrote, we cannot leave things as they presently are. If the church is to be faithful to her mission, he is very aware that there are customs in the church, and he lists not the specifics, but he talks about customs in the church, habits of thoughts, practices, attitudes, and even structures that can hamper efforts at evangelization. It's up to us to grasp this moment. We are, I think, at a time of what I've kind of like to call future church Vancouver. We are entering into, if we are intentional and purposeful, into a new apostolic age. The phrase future church Vancouver is kind of a shorthand. My hope is that with all the data that we have at our disposal, that we can adopt a new attitude, a kind of a fundamental stance, one which is more akin to the proclamation of the gospel that took place in the first apostolic age, which came forth from the outburst of the Holy Spirit in the upper room on Pentecost. This attitude has to be filled with the joy of the gospel, with hope and great confidence, not in lamenting the past. Leave the past alone. It's given us great treasures. And of course, in the apostolic tradition, we have, we have what is most important from the, from the past. That's what really counts, is the proclamation of the gospel as it has been handed down through the church. We, it started with 12. Then it burst out on, on, in Pentecost. It was an incredible manifestation of God's power at work and the cooperation of those who responded to that outburst of power in the Holy Spirit. They were convinced of the need that people have, that the world has, for salvation, because they knew that man, that the human person was fallen, and that we need to be saved, and that they had in their hands a God-given treasure to make that known to others. It was for their good, for the good of the world. Going forward, we're going to have to retool our institutions to make them, I think, more, more clear in their specific Catholic identity. And this means more attention, of course, to um, the role that they have in uh, proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, it's going to be, it's a, it's a tough and high road. There are signs, as we heard in the gospel yesterday, signs that will be contradicted. There's opposition. We're not living in a, in a world which is simply surrounded by, the, by angelic powers that sustain us. They are. But there's also, there are also other powers at work. 
And we have to be aware that we are in a kind of battle zone and at a, at a particular time. You know, time is not always simply, it doesn't unfold at every instance exactly the same way. There are critical moments, crises. And I think we are blessed in a moment at this time uh, to live in such a time when we can become aware of where the Holy Spirit is leading us, maintaining things as they are, or just managing decline. You can see that on the graph. No, that's not what Jesus wants. It's not what he expects of us, and it's not what the Archdiocese of Vancouver is called to do. We are still at the stage of experiencing, I think, the pains of childbirth, yet we can be assured that because of the presence of God's providence, because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that the seeds that have been planted will, in God's good time, bear fruit. So for us, brothers, this is the best of times. It really, because it's our time. This is the time that we have been given to exercise our priestly ministry for the good of the people of God in your, in your parish, in this time and place, in this local church. This is, in many ways, a good time, a blessed time. We just have to kind of open ourselves to it, to receive this time from Christ and to live it as men engaged in the work of evangelization. Here's a good quote from, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Faithful to the Lord's mandate, we cannot resign ourselves to preserving what exists, trusting in the grace of the Spirit, which is the risen Christ, which he guarantees to us, we must continue in our way with renewed energy. The Holy Spirit is at work in every age, ours included. If it is true, as we are assured by the Apostle Paul, that the grace, or that grace is, abounds, the more evil abounds, we might expect an especially abundant action of the Holy Spirit in our own time. Our task is to understand the age we have been given. God has given us this age to trace out how the Holy Spirit is working in it and to seize the adventure of cooperating with him. That this is not a burden. This is a divine adventure. It relies, of course, upon prayer, our prayer, profound prayer, to be, to be given sort of the, the courage that is ours from baptism, confirmation, and from ordination, the power of the grace of the sacrament to confront the age in which we live with the grace that the Lord wants to bestow upon us. Um, now, I just want to pull together with the help of Brett Powell, a list of 12 principles, 12 guidelines, and uh, Roland will distribute uh, these to you later, that I hope will inform our future discussion on March the 16th, when we start to confront what the heck does all of this, all of these graphs, what are the, what's that gonna mean for us? How are we gonna respond concretely 
specifically as a local church. The first thing, there are 12 of them, and I chose 12 because it's the great apostolic number, and there are 12 steps. I mean, it's 12 is a good number. So there are 12 principles. I'll read them out. We, first, we must recognize that Christendom is no longer the dominant cultural influence in the Archdiocese of Vancouver. Second, we must have both the courage to deal with the most brutal facts of our current reality with the unwavering hope and not be trapped by a secular social analysis. Sandy made reference to that. Third, we must adopt an apostolic mindset marked by total confidence in the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives and communities. Fourth, we must embrace a synodal approach to discernment and a commitment to seek guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit. I hope that our future discussions will indeed be animated by the kind of conversation in the spirit which gives everyone a voice as parishes and groups and movements and, and the archdiocese moves forward. Fifth, we must not keep doing what we have always done and expect different results. Sixth, we must learn to put our decades-old institutions more decisively at the service of evangelization. It's our families, our parishes, our schools, our healthcare facilities, and all our social outreach activities. Seventh, we must appreciate more clearly the missionary dimension of the family as that basic unit in which the, the, the church first comes alive and which is the basis of all further ecclesial life. Eighth, we must adopt methods of formation fit for the apostolic age for our clergy, I have to look at the seminary, for our lay faithful and for consecrated persons. Ninth, we must be deeply committed to the co-responsibility of clergy and laity for the church's mission. The lay faithful are not just collaborators in what we do, they are co-responsible. They have a mission conferred upon them by their baptism, and we have to keep awakening that. The lay faithful are not passive, should not be passive. And our task is to increasingly make, uh, make the lay faithful aware of their dignity that comes to them by baptism and the sacramental life they are living. Tenth, we must rid ourselves of a narrow parochial paradigm and work collaboratively in a way which we perhaps have not had to do before. That the basic reality, dear brothers, is not the parish. The basic reality is the local church. That is the reality. That's where the church is one, holy and Catholic and apostolic. It is all of us together. A parish without the wider church is sterile. It cannot live itself. It is the church gathered around the bishop that is the fundamental reality of the Catholic Church. And we have to kind of always keep that in mind. That often requires a sacrifice of, of individual views. Tenth, we must, no, we did ten. Eleven, 
We must both manage our assets, and they are many, financial assets, but also human people, which I don't like to call assets. I don't even like, yeah, like the term human resources. And deploy our resources in line with the Pope's call to a pastoral and missionary conversion. Simple, budgets reveal priorities. And lastly, we must be willing to accept the need in the future to make difficult decisions, which will involve pruning, sacrifice, daring, compassion, generosity, solidarity, justice, and charity. And so as I conclude my remarks, and Roland hasn't raised the time that my time is up yet, um, thank you. Thank you, brothers, for your dedicated ministry. And I'll give the last word to um, Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, uh, someone who I admire enormously, who in, uh, urgently appealed that we place holiness and conversion at the center of a renewed but reinvigorated church that lives in our time. I quote him. The future of the church can and will issue from those whose roots are deep and who live from the pure fullness of their faith. It will not issue from those who accommodate themselves merely to the passing moment or from those who merely criticize others and assume that they themselves are infallible measuring rods, nor will it issue from those who take the easier road, who sidestep the passion of faith, declaring false and obsolete, tyrannical and legalistic, all that makes demands upon men and women, that hurts them and compels them to sacrifice themselves. And he concludes, to put this more positively, the future of the church, I can say the future of our archdiocese, the future of our local church, into which you were ordained as presbyters, once again, as always, will be reshaped by saints, by men and women, that is, whose minds probe deeper than the slogans of the day, who see more than others see because their lives embrace a wider reality. Thank you all for your attention. And it's going to be when we start to confront kind of what do we do, what happens next, uh, that's going to be on March the 16th when we'll uh, reassemble. But uh, a lot of the data has been provided for us to begin to think um, about where, are, where is the Lord leading us? It's not really just where are we going or where is my parish going? We have to discern where is the Lord? Where does, what, does, what does he want us to do in this time that he has given us and he's given to you? Thank you very much.